sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon, here in the American Southwest. Tonight I've opened up my vault of recordings from the golden age of radio and selected two of my favorite episodes from the delightfully absurd Hall of Fantasy. Hall of Fantasy was a somewhat obscure series that started as a local show in Utah before getting national syndication for only about a year. Its appeal to fans of vintage radio is that it strayed from the usual plot structures and tropes of its contemporary programs, which were more traditionally themed. Since it was not based in a major media market, the show's production never featured well-known guest stars, and in most episodes, the actors were not even introduced by name. The production quality is noticeably lower than network-supported programs as well, but the sheer imagination that went into the premises and scripts for Hall of Fantasy make the show enjoyable for its bizarre stories. Our first episode of Hall of Fantasy is The Night the Fog Came. Stories of bacterial and viral threats were not uncommon for this genre of radio, but this story adds a new twist on the theme. The microscopic organisms in this story are instantly fatal, and would normally be confined to bodies of water. However, they have now evolved to spread around the world using fog as their means of transportation, and now two men are all that stand in the way of a global catastrophe. And now we present The Night the Fog Came, as heard on Hall of Fantasy in March of 1953. shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of The Night the Fog Came. Ah! Ah! It came from our right. We'd better take a look. We're getting close to the lake. Only this fog. Wait a minute. There. Right there. Let's take a look. I hope he's all right. Throw him over. He's dead. I know. Do you realize how he died? What do you mean? Look at him closer, Hal. His clothes aren't wet. Even his hair isn't wet. But look at the water trickling from his mouth. This man died less than a minute ago on dry land, 200 yards from the lake. And he died by drowning. If the theory of evolution is correct, then there is a connection between the minute organisms which are found to be living in water and life as we know it today. But what connection with us did those things have which came from out of the fog? What connection with human life did those horrible creatures who came from the depths have? And what is their purpose? Why did they suddenly appear and destroy, then vanish as suddenly as they had come? I shall tell you as much as I know about it. Listen to the tale of 
the night the fog came. The first inkling of their existence came to us as we were going through some routine research. I dropped over to the lab to see Hal. Harold Enroth was perhaps one of the foremost men in his field. Our friendship stretched back for many years. I'd been away for a while, and so I dropped in at the lab to see him one morning. Jeff, you old dog, you're a sight for sore eyes. How are things going, Hal? Fine, couldn't be better. How'd you like your vacation? I can't wait till next year. I hated to come back. You know, Jeff, I'm glad you dropped in. I, I have a little problem. Oh? What is it, money? No, not that. Here, I'll show you. Pull those blinds, will you? Uh, sure. Yeah, that's fine. I have a specimen here on the slide. I want you to take a look at it. Go ahead. Turn the projector on. All right. There. What do you think of that? Hmm. I don't know. It looks like some form of water life. But I don't think I've ever seen it before. This has been enlarged a hundred times. There's no use trying to recognize what it is. It's a form of water life completely unknown to us. A new form of life. Where did you get this? It's a specimen of water one of our field researchers took from the westernmost tip of Lake Superior, somewhere near the Wisconsin-Minnesota border. Have you contacted anyone else about it? No. Why not? Well, it's... Come on, come on. Don't try to avoid telling me how we know each other too well. All right, all right. Listen to me, Jeff. All right? Everything I say is fact. I've conducted countless tests to discover what I do know about this form of life. That thing is able to reproduce itself. A hydrotype? Possibly. That's beside the point right now. What's more important, all trace of the other organisms organisms in that drop of water has disappeared. Are you serious? Of course I am. And another thing, there was a little mist hovering above what was left of the water. A, a mist? That's what I call it. Something like fog. Why, that's impossible. No, it's not. I know that when the water evaporated, it should have been dispersed into the air. Eventually it was, but not for several hours. Oh, I'm sorry, Hal. I still can't. Here, I'll show you. We have a little of the water left. It's over here in this jar. You can see for yourself. Well, it looks just like ordinary water. I know it does. But believe me when I say it isn't. Now it'll take just about three minutes. That little cloud of misty vapor beginning to form like fog? Yes. But what causes it? I wish I knew. Our field men say the conditions up there are getting to be unbearable. The whole area for a hundred square miles is almost covered completely by this fog. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going up there myself. And Jeff, if I send for you, will you join me? Of course. I may need you. I may need everyone I can get. It's begun to prey on my mind, Jeff. Somehow I think there's something in back of this. Something the likes of which the world has never seen. Something... Evil. Al went up there the afternoon of the morning I had seen him. At first he wrote that the reports had been exaggerated. Then he discovered that all traces of the new form of life had disappeared. He decided to return. I was quite glad to get that letter from Hal. Before he had gone up there, he had been quite worried. The only thing I couldn't understand was... What had become of the new water life form? The day before he was to return to the city... Hello? Jeff, this is Hal. 
Where are you? I thought you... I had them put me through direct to you. Jeff, I need your assistance. What's the matter? I've already called Arnold Simpson and Jack Racker. They've agreed to come. I need you too, Jeff. Just as soon as you can possibly make it. Don't worry, Hal. I'll be there. Remember, as soon as you can possibly make it. I knew Arnold Simpson, and he and I went up together. The train left Chicago and headed north, and then slightly west over Illinois and Wisconsin. Simpson and I talked it over on our way up there. Hal talked to you before he left, didn't he, Arnold? Yes, he did. I never had enough time to get up to his lab so he could show me what it was, but his words were description enough. Frankly, I'm worried. In what way? Jeff, why should a new form of water life suddenly appear? Why should it destroy everything with which it comes into contact? And why should the mist or the fog appear to be so dense and heavy? I don't know. That's just the trouble we don't know. Where has this form of life been, or did it just develop? What's its reason for being here? Perhaps we'll find the answers to those questions when we get there, Arnold. Perhaps. But I'm convinced of this much, Jeff. Whatever it is, whatever that fog is hiding, poses a new problem for us. A problem which may be unsolvable. And which could very well destroy the human race. Simpson seemed disinclined to talk, and so we spent the remainder of the trip in silence, both of us lost in our thoughts. We arrived at the town and then hired a car to take us to the little village, where we would find Hal Enroth. The closer we came to our final destination, the darker the sky became, and the air was heavy with a mist which was both damp and clammy. It was an old rickety car, and the roads were little better than the ground on either side of it. The car stopped a few hundred feet from our destination. You gotta walk the rest of the way. You said you'd drive us home. Look, way. mister, I come farther than I was going to in the first place. I ain't no mood to go into the woods up there. If you're gonna go, then you walk in. Jeff, can't you do something? I don't think so. Here's your pay. Thanks. Let's go, Arnold. It could be worse, Arnold. I suppose so. He seemed genuinely afraid. Aren't you? A little. Close to the lake. I've never seen the fog this thick. It's un- unnatural. Eventually, we made it up to the house. Hal was there waiting for us and showed us where we would sleep. Through the window, I could see that the fog seemed to be getting thicker. That's an eerie, lonely sound. You get used to it after you've been here for a while. Hal, you wrote me that this fog, the new form of life, had disappeared. It had. But two days ago, it suddenly reappeared. And with it, the fog returned. Then there must be a connection between the two. Yes, but what? I haven't any idea. Look, I have to go down to the village for some food. We don't have enough here to feed four of us. Will you come with me, Jeff? Certainly. I'll be right back, Arnold. It's only about a mile away near the lake. Go ahead. That trip made me tired. I think I'll take a nap. The house in which we were staying was on a high level of ground which tapered off on the side facing the lake. It was only three in the afternoon, but it looked almost as dark as late evening. And there was something about that cloudy mist. It was cold and clammy and smelled strongly of the lake. Mm -hmm. 
I don't see how you were able to stand it up here by yourself. Well, I had a lot of things to interest me. I was all ready to meet you at the station, but when I got your call, I didn't know what to think. I wish I could understand this, Jeff. The fog disappeared when the water life disappeared. When signs of this strange new form of life showed again, the fog came back. Why? Maybe we can find the answer to that. I hope so. Surely the sound of that foghorn does get on your nerves. Yes, I can imagine it would. You know, if this were a clear day, you could see the village from here. Oh? Actually, it's just a tiny resort town for fishermen and hunters. And it's located right on the westernmost tip of the lake. Imagine it must... Ah! Help it! Ah! It came from our right. We'd better take a look. Come on. We're getting close to the lake. It's only this fog. Wait a minute. There. Right there. Let's take a look. I hope he's all right. All right. Roll him over. Okay. I know. But do you realize how he died? What do you mean? Look at him closer, Hal. His clothes aren't wet. Even his hair isn't wet. But look at the water trickling from his mouth. This man died less than a minute ago on dry land. Two hundred yards from the lake. And he died by drowning. That's not possible. Are you sure he drowned? There must be a doctor down at the village. Let's take him down there and see what the doctor says. Only I'm sure he'll agree with me. Together, we carried the man down to the village. Luckily for us, he was a slight build, not too heavy. It took us almost half an hour to get him down there. When we finally did arrive, it took another few minutes to locate the doctor. What do you think, doctor? Get them out. All right. Will you uh, please wait outside? The doctor can't work with you in here. He's just like all the others, ain't he, Doc? Please wait outside. Uh, Thank you. What did he mean by he's just like all the others, Doctor? Just what he said. Ever since this fog has settled down again, five people have died. All in the same way? Yes. You, You mean by drowning? That's right. I can't understand how this man we found could die by drowning when he wasn't in the water. No, he reached him about a minute after he screamed. How could he drown? Professor Enroth, I've been asking myself that same question about all the others. I've been almost half insane these past two days trying to find a solution. Dr. Craig, this fog, has it always been like this in the area? No, not until about two months ago. Which coincides with the time we first discovered that new form of water life. What did you say? Nothing, Doctor. We're doing a little research work up here, that's all. This keeps up. I'm afraid of what might happen. I've never seen anything like it before. The fog, those deaths, how can they be explained? We don't know, Doctor. We just don't know. When we got back to the house, we discovered that Simpson had indeed taken a nap. Our arrival must have awakened him, for as we entered, he came slowly down the stairs from the second floor. Need any help? No, we can manage. But come out to the kitchen with us. What's the matter with you two? We found a dead man on our way to the village. Are you serious? Let's set those bags on the table. All right. Well, I'm not joking, Arnold. We heard a scream. It took us about a minute to get to him. He was dead when we got there. A knife? Drowned. What? On dry land. 200 yards from the lake. You must be insane. Now, it's the truth, Arnold. And there have been four other deaths just like it. When did they happen? In the last two days. Since the fog reappeared. That's right. Then there is a definite connection between this fog and the new life form you've discovered, Hal. That's right. But what's the connection? (laughs) 
We'd gotten back to the house about six o'clock. It was about seven that it happened. Simpson said he was going outside for a minute. He opened the door. I just want to get outside for a minute. Good heavens. What's wrong? Take a look. Fog is so thick. I've never seen anything like that before. Shut the door. Somebody's getting inside. It's moving on the floor. Just shut, shut the, the door. Did you see it? Yes. The fog. Just like it was alive. Moving like, like a living thing. Creeping along the floor. When Simpson had opened the door, the fog crept into the house in little wisps that curled and snaked this way and that. It looked like a thing alive. You saw it, didn't you, Hal? Yes, I saw it. What does it mean? I'm afraid of what it means. You mean you... you know? I hope I'm wrong, but I'm afraid I'm not. Just possible that this form of life is developed from something that was present in the water all the time. The great brute animals ruled the world before man appeared and then were destroyed. Eventually, mankind wrested the supremacy of the earth from the other animal and plant life. Perhaps the cycle is to continue. Perhaps, after man, this new form of life. As the minutes passed by, we noticed that little slips of the fog began inching their way through every opening of the house. It was Simpson who pointed down at the bottom of the door and first brought it to our attention. We began to plug up all the openings in the house. At first, we did it slowly, but as time passed, we worked faster and more feverishly. No matter how tired we became, we had to finish the job or the fog might claim the house, too. It was too quiet. The only thing we heard was the distant, monotonous call of the foghorn. And then Hal broke the silence. Do you know why this fog is so thick? I wish I did. This might be insane, but it has to be the answer. That fog is carrying moisture, a lot of it, perhaps enough to also carry this new form of life. To move it from place to place, to spread it even farther. To kill everything which stands in its way. That might be it. It is, I'm sure it is. Well, in that case, what happened to break it up the first time? And that's the solution to the problem. I don't know what it is, but it did break it up the first time. It drove it back, down to the depths from where it came. That's why there was no sign of it in the water. That came from right outside the house. Racco. He said he was going to arrive this evening. We'd better take a look. Uh, bring the flashlight. Right. Let's go. That light doesn't carry more than a few feet. It's so wet out here. Over there. Look. Little pinpoints of light dancing up and down, all clustered together. That must be it. Come on. It's spreading out. Right, look. There, on the ground. It's Racco. The same way. The same way as the other one. luminescence had withdrawn from Rakow's body, but now we noticed that there seemed to be more of them. We carried the body back to the house. We'd forgotten to close the door behind us, and some of the fog had gotten inside. It wasn't too bad, however, by little it began to disperse. Look out that window. Yes, I see them. Gathering together with a whole mass, getting larger and larger all the time. Separating like the Hydra. It must be destroyed. Yes, but how? They created the fog. That must be the only way they can travel on land. They must have a basic water carrier. Have you realized what this means? What are you getting at? The area this fog now covers is a hundred square miles. Every animal in this area may lose its life. And then what happens? They divide again and again and again. And the area of the fog keeps getting larger all the time. If it isn't stopped now, 
while we still have a chance, it may never be stopped. And I ask you the same question, Simpson. How? I don't know. Someone's outside. Let him in quickly. They're moving towards the house. It's a miracle that you did. Sit down, Doctor. Thank you. I was out of the call on my way back to town. I noticed how thick the fog was. And then I noticed the animals lying dead in the forest. The smell of their death was in the air. I continued on towards the town. And then I saw the bodies lying just where they had fallen. The whole town seemed to be covered by a strange luminescent mass which in some manner had moved. I was afraid. Then I thought of you people in this house, and I got here as soon as I could. I don't know how long we'll be able to withstand them, Doctor. I'm sure the townspeople are dead now. In fact, almost every living creature in the area must be dead. But what is it? What caused it? If we get out of this alive, Doctor, we'll tell you. Look outside. It must have split again. It's twice the size it was. What are we going to do? Look under the doorway. They're getting through. Plug it up. Use some newspaper. Close anything. We'll have to stop it. Constant opening and closing of the door. Listen to the other things we have down there. I think that was Look, the things that did get in. First you see their light and then they're gone. What happens to them? Perhaps we can't see them. Or perhaps they die. Hal, wait a minute. Your first letters to me mentioned the fact that the mist had been dispersed. What caused it? I don't know. Doctor, you're a native of these parts. Yes. I want you to tell me about anything unusual which happened that day. Well, I don't remember anything about that day. particularly. I remember I was quite pleased to see that the fog had lifted. It was a beautiful day. Unseasonably warm. In fact, the, the sun was quite hot. Heat. I wonder if... If what, yeah? These things, these hydra-type creatures must die in the heat. This house is quite warm. The day the fog was dispersed was warm with a bright sun. Perhaps that's the answer. Doctor, is there any fire break around this area? Well, there was one cut through the trees several years ago. Yes. In case of a fire, a bad one in the heavy timberlands, everyone was instructed to get into this area. In other words, there's a complete fire break around this entire area. Yes. It comprises about 150 square miles. And that's it. It's the only chance we have. We'll burn out this area and hope it drives them back. There's some oil downstairs. Get it. We'll start the fire here and hope it sets fire to the trees surrounding this house. Be right back. We'll have to make a run for it once this place is on fire. We may not come out of this alive, but we can try. The last. Good. Oh, everybody knows what you'd better light it. Those things outside, they're going to get in. Each man will carry torches. Yes. All right, light your torches. All right. And then set fire to this house. Right. Lighting mine. All right. And yours, huh? Right. One more. Right. Uh, under the door. They're pouring in under the door. Set the house on fire. Let's get out of here. No matter what happens, you hold those torches. They're afraid of fire. fire caught hold and the entire area was burned out. A week later, the smoke had cleared and the fire was out. There was no sign of the fog which had meant death to so many things. I had caught a glimpse of the doctor. He had dropped his torch and it had gone out. He was immediately engulfed in those luminescent killers. I'm going back up there with Enroth and Simpson. Though there is now no trace of those things in the water, still we know they lurk somewhere waiting for their moment. We must destroy them once and for all before that moment arrives. <laughs>
like the fog came. All characters and events portrayed on these programs are fictional, and any resemblance to places or actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Featured in this program were Harry Elders as Jeff Kellick, Richard Thorne as Hal Enroth, Jim Andelin as Arnold Simpson, and Sam Siegel as the Doctor. Original music moods were created and performed by Harold Turner. Sound effects by Lloyd Knight and Wayne Dickinson. Your announcer is George Bauer. These programs are directed by Leroy Oliger, written and produced by Richard Thorne. just listened to The Night the Fog Came from Hall of Fantasy as originally aired on March 23, 1953. Our next episode of Hall of Fantasy touches on a couple of common themes for radio horror, mad scientists and giant creatures. The approach is straightforward and the plot takes the usual twists, but the expected Hall of Fantasy outrageousness comes through in the over-the-top acting and the intensity of the details. This story will be especially disturbing if you have a fear of spiders of any size. And now, The Crawling Thing, as heard on Hall of Fantasy in May of 1953. And now... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of... The Crawling Thing. Be quiet. I don't want to wake the others. Look at the cage. What do you mean? The mouse. What happened to the mouse? Let's go over to the cage. The spider, it's doubled in size again. I know. The mouse is gone. Now, look at the partition between the two pens. But there isn't any partition. That's right. And I don't think the partition slipped down between the two cages. I think that the two holders for it were opened and then the partition slipped down. But that means you're endowing the spider with... With intelligence. Yes, that's right. Remember what I said earlier? What would happen if the yes quantity also enlarged the ability of the brain to think? Well, it's happened. That spider will kill. It can think. That hairy, crawling thing can think. And now for our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled... The Crawling Thing. Quite by chance, I've come upon this little diary of Emery's. The mirror of a man's mind. I shall read you only those parts which concern the experiment. The months which brought him into contact with his ultimate death. Oh, yes. It begins on this page. July 7th. Today I met Dr. Henry Sindler, 
I've always recognized him to be one of the greatest research men in this field. I applied for the position of his assistant. I only hope that he accepted me. It would be a great opportunity for me if I managed to get the position. I remember when he walked out to meet me. I take it that you are Mr. Bolton? Yes. Sindler, Dr. Henry Sindler. Yes, I know. Now, please sit down, Mr. Bolton. It distresses me to see a man like you nervous and shaky. I'm not going to hurt you. Well, I'm sorry, sir. Now, you no doubt are aware that I drive my assistants to a state of utter exhaustion, that I expect quite a good deal from them? Yes, I'm aware of that, Dr. Sindler. Yes, all right, good. And thank you for you for coming to see me, Mr. Bolton. I have many other applicants to see before the day is over. If you are accepted, we will notify you. The Dr. Sindler... That is all, Mr. Bolton. Good afternoon. July 11th, I was accepted. He called me this morning and said that he had chosen me to fill the position. Yesterday I felt sure that I'd been rejected and almost accepted the position with Gates, but something held me back. I am to see him tonight for dinner. This is Donna Atwell, Mr. Bolton, another member of the research team. How do you do? It's a pleasure to meet you, Miss Atwell. Will you join us in the martini? Yes, certainly. The laboratory up in the mountains should be completed by the end of this month. I have a few things to clear up here before we start on this new research. I imagine you're willing to live with me and the rest of my staff? Oh, yes. By all means, Dr. Sindler. Yes, excellent. I'm very interested in knowing what we're going to do. Tell him, Donna. Dr. Sindler is endeavoring to discover a method by which he can make plants and animals larger. Larger? Yes, Emery. Well, how? Every living thing, be it plant or animal, gives off electricity to a greater or lesser degree... By means of the electroencephalograph, science has already discovered the human brain gives off small microvolts of electricity. When a man becomes angry, this charge is strengthened. With the increased flow of electricity, his physical strength is also increased. Dr. Sindler is looking for the chemical which is released into a man's body, along with adrenaline, which gives a man this added strength and which also increases the microvolts of electricity. I see. Your cocktail. Allow me to propose a toast to our work together. May we have success. July 23rd, the laboratory is finally completed. Sinzer and I are going up by car tomorrow. I am impatient to begin. July 24th, we arrived shortly after noon today. I'll take you on a tour of the building later, Emery. Now I want you to meet the others. Donna... Will you and Dr. Henderson come into my office, please? Yes, Dr. Sindler. Besides the four of us, the only other persons in the building are the cook and janitor. I dislike having too many people engaged on one problem. You understand, of course. Certainly. Miss Atwell and Dr. Henderson have been my colleagues on several other occasions. Well, the building is perfect, Henry. Yes, Henry, they've certainly given us everything to work with this time. Emery Bolton, this is Dr. Paul Henderson. You already know Miss Atwell. How do you do? Glad to have you with us, Bolton. Emery... You are to work on the effects of the unknown chemical which is released into the body at moments of anger or peril along with adrenaline. I shall try to isolate the chemical. You are to discover what effect it has upon the nerves and brain. August 4th. Sindler has isolated the chemical. He calls it the strength quantity or S quantity. He fed some to a lab mouse. How much time has passed since the injection? Three hours, Dr. Sindler. Let's look at the pen. I hope we have more success this time. I think we will. Maybe I'm wrong, but 
Yes, the mouth does seem to be larger. It is larger, Donna. Then we found the formula. So we can't be too sure if it's safe. The other subjects died. Dr. Sindler. Yes? How large will the animal grow? We have no idea of knowing that, my dear. Do you think there's any possibility of it growing too large? What do you mean? We're changing the size of that animal beyond all proportion to what nature has evolved. Do you think there's any possibility of the subject growing too large for us to handle? That mouse there might grow into some hideous monster that, that could destroy us all. Back now to our story, an original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Crawling Thing. I'm here in this seemingly deserted laboratory. In my hands, I hold the diary of Emery Bolton. Though there's nothing in his words that should cause me to feel any alarm, still there's something, something I feel that causes me to look back over my shoulder into the shadows. I continue with the diary. August 5th. The animal is three times its normal size. It's killed two other mice. Emery! Yes? How is your part of the research cutting? I've written it down for you. Here. Mm. Let me see. The effect of the S quantity increases the microvolts of electricity, and we go on. Dr. Tiddler. Yes, what is it, Donna? Paul wants you in the isolation room immediately. Why? What's wrong? I don't know. He just told me to get you. Oh, come with us, Emery. I wonder what's happened. We'll know in a minute. What is it, Paul? Henry, the mouse died a few minutes ago. What? Yes. As you know, the S quantity has an immense effect on the metabolism. I imagine the animal wasn't able to stand the strain. What are we going to do? We'll try it again. Failure may mean nothing. Perhaps the animal was sick. We're not sure that the strength quantity will kill. August 9th. Cinder told us to feed the S quantity to another mouse and also to one of the large, hairy banana spiders, a member of the deadly tarantula family, in the cage next to the mouse. I was with Henderson when the feeding began. Open the cage door. Right. I'll set the food in here like this. All right, close the door. Mm-hmm. Now the other one. Open the cage door. All right. There. That'll do it. Paul, do you think the spider will react to it? I don't know. I imagine so. Spider, I... What's the matter? <laughs> Ever since I was a small child, I've, I've hated them. I get nervous whenever I see one. This type, especially. You're a scientist, Paul. You should be completely objective in this experiment. I know I should, but... That spider, that hairy, crawling thing, I... I wish I could forget my fear and hatred of them, but I can't. They always seem so cold. A person feels that they have an unearthly, inhuman intelligence behind their beady little eyes. Of course, that's not possible. I think it's just the same. I wonder if the S-quantity will also increase the size of the brain. And its ability to think. Still, August 9th. Four hours later, the mouse has increased slightly in size, but the growth of the spider has been amazing. Its size has been more than trebled. It's almost as large as a child's fist. August 10th, three in the morning. Henderson woke me and went into the isolation room where the mouse and spider were kept in a double cage. Be quiet. 
I don't want to wake the others. Look at the cages. Now, what do you... The mouse. What happened to the mouse? Let's go over to the cage. The spider has doubled in size again. I know. And the mouse is gone. Now, look at the partition between the two pens. There isn't any partition. That's right. It slipped or was moved down to the bottom of the cage. Then that means that the mouse and the spider had nothing to separate them. But what happened to the mouse? Don't you know, Emery? Unless... Unless what? Unless the spider... And that's just what happened. Another thing, Emery. I don't think the partition slipped down between the two cages. I think that the two holders for it were opened and then the partition slipped down. That means you're endowing the spider with intelligence. Yes, that's right. Remember what I said earlier? Would it happen if the S quantity also enlarged the ability of the brain to think? Well, it has happened. That spider will kill. It can think. That hairy, crawling thing can think. August 10th, forenoon. I didn't get much of a chance to see Sindler before 11. When I did, I discovered Henderson had already told him what had happened in the isolation room. And you know about the spider. Yes, Emery, I do. Henderson told me earlier. What do you think about it? Think? What do you mean? Don't you think we ought to destroy it? Destroy it? Of course not. This may be what we're looking for, Emery. This may lead us to success. But, Dr. Sindler, it might be dangerous. Yes, it might be. But you remember that the development of the atomic bomb was dangerous, and so is the research going on in countless laboratories across the nation, across the world, Emery. That spider has intelligence, Dr. Sindler, a crafty, cunning intelligence. Yes, I know that. We have found a new formula to increase the intelligence and size of an animal. And, Emery, it will increase man's intelligence, too. Our contribution to the science of the world will be invaluable. There's nothing to worry about, absolutely nothing. August 15th. The spider has grown so large that it cannot be kept in the cage anymore. The isolation room is its pen now. It has the run of the entire room. It's as large as a large dog. I must admit that every time I enter the isolation room, I'm nervous lest that thing should attack me. But it generally stays over in one corner of the room. Apparently, it has no desire to harm us. August 25th. Donna and I are taking a stroll outside the laboratory. Emery. Yes? Emery, I've... I've been with Dr. Sendler for several years. In all that time, he's never made a mistake. That is, up to now. What do you mean, Donna? I think he's created something that will only bring evil. That will only... Oh, I wish I had the words to express myself. I know exactly how you feel, Donna. I've talked to him about this before. I'm going to talk to him again when we get back. I wish you would, Emery. I wish you would. What are you doing in here, Emery? I want to talk to you, Dr. Sindler. Can't it wait till later? No. That noise, what... It's the sound of the spider as it moves closer to us. What did you want to say, Emery? I'll be quite frank about it, sir. I think we should destroy it. Why, that's nonsense, Emery. No, it's not. It's true we may learn something. It's true that we may even succeed in our research. But let's start over again. Let's experiment with something else, something that doesn't look like a monstrous throwback to a prehistoric age. It crawls and slides across the floor with its large, beady eyes always open, staring at you. Let's destroy it. What's the matter? It's coming towards us. Come with me, Emery. Quickly, 
creature. It was crawling towards us. I wonder if it can understand us. I wonder if it knows what we're saying. Either that or it sensed that I was urging its destruction. Maybe I'm wrong, Henry. I feel there's something malevolent about that spider. I get the feeling that it's waiting for the right moment. Waiting for the time when it will kill us. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Crawling Thing. I'm beginning to feel some of the terror that Emery Bolton must have felt. I'm beginning to feel the presence of the crawling thing about which he writes through the words upon these pages. The diary continues. September 8th. The cook and janitor left today. If we remain here, we'll be forced to do all the work they did. Henderson has been acting queerly. With a strange, haunted look to his eyes. He barely eats at all. Either he's ill physically or mentally. What's the matter with you, Paul? What do you mean? You, you look ill. You're not yourself. Can you be yourself, Emery? That crawling monster in the isolation room? Well, can you? No, not exactly. Let me tell you something, Emery. My dreams, I see it. My dreams in the dead of night. I, I see those beady eyes looking for me. Trying to pierce the darkness. And I feel drawn to it. As if it hypnotizes me. And I feel that I'm caught in its web. Just like a fly, Henry. Just like a fly. It's only your imagination. I'm not insane if that's what you think. And I'm quickly being driven there. Did you ever look at those eyes for any length of time, Emily? Did you ever see the hatred and loathing and evil mirrored in them? I'm not imagining it. I see it. When the opportunity comes, I'm going to destroy it. Sindler or no Sindler, I swear to you, I'll kill it. October 10th. Henderson has been so quiet lately that I know he has some plan in his mind. Some plan that will culminate in the destruction of the spider. Sindler hasn't noticed any change in Henderson. He's engrossed in his work. October 16th. Henderson whispered to me this evening that tonight he will kill the spider. I sit in my room and write this, with only the desk lamp lit. It is almost eleven o'clock now. And I have the feeling that the moment is drawing near. I heard a scream. I don't know. I think we may find the answer in the isolation room. Come with me. You don't mean that Henderson went in there alone. I'm afraid he did. But that's against all my orders. Why would he want to go in there? Let's kill it. What do you what? mean? He hated and feared the spider. We'll see what happened right now. Here's the key. We don't need it. The door's open. Turn on the light. Good heavens. Back. Back to the other side of the room. It seems to, to understand you, Dr. Sin. Probably from the tone of my voice. Now, to examine Henderson. He's dead. Dead? Yes. After all, in the spider's original size, the poison could kill a man. Here, give me a hand. Help me get him out of here. All right. Look out! The spider's coming towards you. Help me with Henderson. Hurry! All right. All right. Let's get out of here. Hurry, hurry! Lock the door, Donna. Yes, yes, of course. 
I don't want that thing to get out of that room. Don't you think we should destroy it? No! Henderson was a fool. He went in there to kill the spider. I think the spider sensed it. That's why Henderson's dead. We are still going on with the experiment. October 17th, we buried Henderson in the graying light of dawn. Even Sindler was quiet. October 18th, I am in charge of feeding it. Donna and I were in the isolation room today when a curious thing happened. Emily, look. What's wrong? The spider. It's crawling over to the table where the S quantity is. I wonder if... If what? The spider's trying to get more of the S quantity. Stop growing now because we stopped the injection. If it were to get more of the serum, it would grow larger. Going to get that bottle and take it out of here. Be careful, I might. Don't worry, I will. Look out! You want to make it fast? Maybe we better get out of here. It's crawling towards the table. We have to stop it. We can't. It's lifting one of its legs. What is it trying to do? Get the bottle, Donna. The bottle of serum. Knock the bottle to the floor. It's going to drink that serum. Get out of here. You're right. What are we going to do, Henry? I don't know. I don't know. I heard some commotion down here. What's the matter? Spider just got through knocking the bottle of chemical serum to the floor. But that means that... Then it'll grow larger. I told you we should destroy that thing in there. Now it's too late. We don't know how large it'll get. Be quiet. I have to think. That's right. Use your mind now, Cinder, when it's too late. We had a chance to destroy it earlier, but no, you wouldn't have any of that. A man of science, that's what you are. But you're a fool, too, Sindler. A stupid, misguided fool. That thing in there could kill us all. What the hell? It's trying to break the door down. We'd better barricade that door. If we don't, it'll break it down in a matter of seconds. October 24th. Six terrifying days have passed. That creature in the isolation room is out of all proportion. Though we've barricaded it. The door is weakening. It won't hold up much longer. I called Frank today. We can't leave that thing alone. If it were to get loose, we must destroy it. Cinder has a plan. We've placed explosives just outside the door. We'll give way any minute now. It's only a matter of minutes now. When it breaks down the door and comes through that doorway, the explosive will automatically go off. I hope we're successful. Why don't we just leave? We can't do that. We have to see it destroyed. That's the only way we can be sure. What if... If the explosive does not kill it, I... I don't know what will. The door is starting to give. It's starting to come through. As if I were hypnotized. I... I can't move. Look out! Look out! Even though the last entry in the diary was marked October 24th at 7 in the morning, in my mind I've reconstructed what must have happened after that last entry. There is evidence all around me of the death and destructive power of that hairy, crawling thing. It must have left the building after what happened. I'd better get back to the city and notify the... 
front of me. Something so large. Gigantic eyes looming up at me. I can't move. Tonight's tale of the unusual, the terrifying, the unknown. Join us again when next we journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to hear another strange tale of the supernatural. All characters and events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. this episode of the Twilight Beacon. From the radio program Hall of Fantasy, you heard The Night the Fog Came, from March 23, 1953, and The Crawling Thing, from May 18, 1953. The Twilight Beacon will return this Saturday, October 8th, with our first Sci-Fi Saturday presentation of the season. We'll be featuring a pair of episodes of the classic radio program Dimension X with scripts based on stories from acclaimed fiction writers Jack Williamson and Ray Bradbury. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying goodnight, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon Podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon Podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and a schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.